You are now tuned in to the Decoding Success Podcast, where we reveal game-changing habits, formulas, and routines from the world's most successful individuals to help you think and live larger. What is going on? It is your host, Matt Labrie, and you are rocking with us on an all-new, a brand-new episode of the Decoding Success Podcast. And... Episode number three of 2020, we are rocking and rolling, honestly just trending upward on the trajectory scale of providing you with experiences and insights and all of that good stuff from individuals that are absolutely unmatched in multiple facets of life. And today, nothing is changing. We have yet another amazing individual that we are bringing to you, someone that embodies what passion truly is, not only just for work, but for things outside of work. And I'm gonna give you a perfect example. The gentleman that we're bringing to you today, let's put his professional accomplishments, such as working with Tony Robbins and major companies aside. But on top of that, he is super passionate about live shows. In fact, he's so passionate about live shows that he's actually been to 700 150 plus live shows. And the only reason why he knows that is because he keeps an Excel spreadsheet of every single live show he has ever been to, which is absolutely incredible. But on top of that, he has also traveled 100,000 plus miles per year doing what he loves to do, speaking, workshops, etc., etc. The list goes on. And like I said, he's worked with Tony Robbins, emerging companies. So today we are bringing to you David Meerman Scott. He is a marketing strategist, entrepreneur, advisor to emerging companies, VC strategic partner, and the best-selling author of 10 plus books, including his new book, which has just released today. We're going to dive into that in just a little bit. So David, really excited to have you hop on here in just a moment. But before we get into that, I want to give a huge shout out to our partner, Acadium. Now, you may have heard me talk about Gen M and being able to have interns through this amazing program. Well, Acadium is the same exact thing. I just want to let people know that Gen M went through a rebrand. So if you hear me say Acadium, you've most definitely heard me talk about what I'm going to dive into here in this instance. So if you are scaling your business, if you're looking to grow your team, in an effective yet affordable way. Listen, Acadium is the absolute way to go. I wouldn't be sharing this information with you if I wasn't personally using them myself with my branding agency here in New York City, 1B Branding. So if you're in the position where you're looking to create more content, maybe for yourself personally, and you don't own a business because you're a speaker, a podcast, or something of that nature, or maybe you do own a business, maybe you own a physical therapy office, or whatever the case is, right? Listen, this program right here could be an absolute game changer for you, and that's exactly why I'm sharing it, because it could be of value, could bring value, and that's exactly why we have this show in the first place, to be an endless resource of value to you. So, you can find all of the information in the show notes of this episode simply by scrolling up or down from whatever platform you're listening to. I promise you there's a link in the show notes of this episode, or maybe you want to gauge my interest or pique my interest on my experience with them and have a more in-depth conversation. You could feel free to reach out to me, matt at mattlabrice.com. By all means, I love when people connect with me, so feel free to shoot me an email. And now, without further ado, we bring to you our guest of the day, David Meerman Scott. David, first and foremost, man, truly grateful for you hopping on here, adding a ton of value. And I do want to say congratulations on the launch of the new book, which we will be diving into in just a little bit. So again, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Matt. It's awesome to be here. A hundred percent. So David, first question for you straight off the bat, this is how we kick off the show. And I think it sets the tone and lets the audience know where you're personally at in life. So I want to know, how do you personally define success? I personally define success as how I can help other people to have their success. 
I love that. So my first question to you about that, because you just sparked a whole bunch of questions here, David. (laughs) (laughs) My first question to you straight off the bat is, you know, along the lines of what you need in place personally for you to be able to help other people. Now, we've had plenty of guests on this show hop on here and no one's ever answered it in such a unique way. And I appreciate that response from you. Very authentic and genuine. But to that point, I want to know what you personally need in place to be able to help other people. So for instance, I can't fill someone else's cup unless my cup is full. Do you agree with that? Um, I think so. Yeah, I do. I mean, for me, what I've found is that I have an uncanny ability of every few years identifying patterns in the universe that other people don't see. And I'm able to, for whatever reason, articulate those patterns I'm seeing and they're helpful to people. So I'll give you three quick examples. Um, Back in 2005, 2006, I was the first person to write about, maybe not the first person to identify, but the first person to write about the fact that marketing on the internet is not about advertising, but instead marketing on the internet is about creating content. Um, and then a couple of years later, I was the first person to write about the fact that social media is about real-time connection, instant connection. Um, so in 2007, the book I wrote around um, that first instance was called The New Rules of Marketing and PR, became an instant bestseller. It sold 400,000 copies in English. The second book, Real-Time Marketing and PR, uh, has um, became a Wall Street Journal bestseller. And I've done it again recently working with my daughter, Reiko, who's 26 years old, um, on the idea that this whole online um, social networking thing has become kind of chaotic and there's too many people doubling down on it. So um, I um, identified the pattern that we're getting back to true human connection. So, so I think for my, in my own case, the more that I live the ideas that I identify the patterns in the universe, the more to me they're real. And that's what gives me the opportunity to write about them and speak about them. And there's nothing that gives me greater joy than when someone reaches out and says, gosh, thank you. You helped me grow my business or thank you. You helped me to understand how I can create a new company or, or thank you. I can't believe um, these ideas that you shared. And that's, that's what I live for, man. It's great. <laughs> yeah. I definitely resonate with that, especially because, I mean, I feel almost as if a significant other is giving me like a butterfly feeling in my gut when, whenever I'm speaking and people are coming up to me after. So I'm pretty sure you, you know, you resonate with that yeah, as well. Yeah, I do. I do too. And also with this podcast, Matt, because you've done, you've had success with this and you're helping a lot of people. And it's interesting with a podcast, it's phase shifted, right? Um, you create the content and then depending on when people listen to it, you know, in their car, or when they're working out or whatever it is, it could be weeks or even months later. And then like you create the magic and then months later, somebody consumes the magic. It's, it's pretty neat. Yeah. I think that's the beauty of impact, right? And oftentimes I refer to that as like the compound effect, you know, one thing that I say, or you say on stage, or one thing that, you know, you share on this podcast resonates with someone. And the next thing you know, they're, they're telling someone else, or just as you mentioned down the line, you know, they listen to this months from now, you know, it's absolutely amazing. And, uh, you know, we definitely relate on on that topic. But David, I want to transition to kind of 
learn more about your journey here. So I'm going to ask you about David in high school. Mm. Who was he? What was the dream back then? I'm curious to learn. Well, David in high school was overweight. um, And David in high school um, had a couple of really, really good friends. And we were weird because I grew up outside of New York City uh, in Connecticut. And Um, Starting at age 15, at least once a month, we would take the train into New York City and go to live music shows. Absolutely loved it and saw some epic shows. I'm quite a bit older than you, so I've seen Led Zeppelin. I've seen The Clash. I saw Bob Marley's last concert. Um, This was the thing that I loved, and this was this incredible passion uh, especially for the Grateful Dead. They became my favorite band, who I've now seen 75 times, by the way. And I've seen 780 live shows in my life, but that sparked from when I was in high school. Um, and I wasn't part of the popular crowd. I wasn't part of the beautiful people crowd. I wasn't a part of the smart crowd. Um, I, was, I was part of the weird um, go into New York City on the train and, and go to live music crowd. So let me ask you, I, I actually read something super interesting. I believe it was on your website about how many live shows you've been to. And correct me if I'm wrong here, David, but I think it was 700 plus. Yeah, so, seven, I'm roughly 780 right now, which is, and I, wow. I'm, such a, I'm such a geek, Mac. I have a spreadsheet that, has, that lists all the concerts I've been to. Um, so in the early days when I was in high school and college, and I would keep the ticket stubs. And then later on, um, uh, I built an Excel spreadsheet, which I keep up every time I go to a show. I'll, I'll enter it into, this, into that spreadsheet. That is incredible. I, I mean, know, I've it's ridiculous, awesome right? Shows. <laughs> yeah, no, listen, listen, everyone has their own passions. I definitely want to dive into that topic too in just a little bit. But I mean, I've been to OzFest. I've seen, you know, Kiss at Jones Beach. I, I've mm-hmm. been to many concerts myself, which is, you know, awesome. And to that point, I have to ask you, if there was only one that you could ever relive, what one would that be? Oh man, that's tough because I've seen a lot of epic shows in my life. But the one that is particularly epic is that um, I went to the Stanley Theater in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, September 1980, and I was the only person who had a camera known to have had a camera and shot photos at Bob Marley's last concert. And um, it was an epic show because it was the only show that Bob Marley ever played where he knew he was dying of brain cancer. So the show he did just before that was at Madison Square Garden in New York. Um, And he wasn't feeling good, hadn't been feeling good for a couple of days. Went to the doctor. The doctor diagnosed him as having a brain tumor. And then he, he, a couple of days later, had a show in Pittsburgh. He decided to do that show. And then after that show, he said, you know what? I got to get treatment. And he went off and um, never did another show again. And so I would love to relive that one. Although there is a live album out um, about it. and, uh, And it's really fun to listen to that every now and then. That is incredible. That is absolutely incredible. So going back to David in high school, I have to ask, what was the dream back then? You know, you mentioned you were identifying what one of your passions was being, you know, that you were going to live shows and such. But, you know, what was it that you wanted to do the rest of your life? I did not have anything in mind, to be honest with you. I was drifting at that point in my life. I knew I wanted to have fun. And I knew that I wanted to chart my own path, but I didn't know what that path was. 
So I ended up doing what most of my friends did and what was expected of me in the community that I grew up in as I went to college. You know, that's, that's what you did when you grew up in the suburbs of New York City in Connecticut. And so I felt like going to college gave me four, year, four more years to figure out what I wanted to do and defer it because I could, I could um, sort of extend that high school having fun thing through college. Right. So where was it on your journey that sparked the desire to delve into entrepreneurship and being an author, an advisor, a speaker, and so on? So it was really clear what happened is um, I, uh, I, after I graduated from college, I went, in to, I went down to Wall Street and I was a bond trader and I was terrible at it. I hated it. And I ended up really liking the information side of bond trading, the, the data that the bond traders used from companies like Dow Jones and Reuters. And those are the sorts of companies I worked for for my corporate career for about a decade. And then in 2002, I was working for a company called Thomson Reuters and they fired me, I lost my job. And that's what kicked my ass into deciding that I wanted to take my own path and become an entrepreneur and begin to think about writing ideas and speaking on the stage. And I just made a really strong commitment to myself and to my family that I'm going to make a go of this thing. And um, fortunately, as I like to tell people, I've been unemployed now for 17 years. So <laughs> happily, happily not working for a company. And I know it's you know fine for people who do work for a company, but for me, I found that being on my own and doing my own thing is great. Right. I love it. Yeah, I love it myself. So to that point, you know, what do you feel like someone has to have in place to kind of take that leap of faith and transition out of corporate? Now, I know you mentioned you got fired, but, you know, I would still like to hear your perspective on the on the topic. You know, do you feel like you need X amount in a savings account or or anything along those lines? Well, in my case, um, I was I was kind of lucky because I decided to go out on my own in the middle of my career. Uh, I think I was like 38 or 39 when I went on my own. And so I'm, I was older than some entrepreneurs and I had a little bit of a financial cushion. And I was also lucky in the sense that once I left, um, well, once I was fired by the company, I did have other people um, who I was familiar with in the industry who hired me on as a consultant. So I had a pretty nice financial cushion to, 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 to dull the blow of losing the job and having the income stop. Um, so I was quite lucky there. But I think, um, I think what was really, really important to me and with all the other entrepreneurs I've spoken with, this has been true, is they have a real strong passion for wanting to make a difference in whatever it is that they want to do, whether they're creating a company that has a product or service they sell, or um, like me, becoming somebody who's um, coming up with ideas that are delivered in the form of books or on the stage, um, uh, or, or people who, who do other kinds of, um, of entrepreneurial work is you know, you really have to believe in yourself because you're no longer part of an organization that, um, that pays you on an ongoing basis. You're, you got to pay yourself, you know, you got to right. live by your wits. And I actually love living by my wits. I love trying to figure out what I can do differently, um, how I can change up my business a little bit, how I can maybe offer some kind of new thing that, um, that might be able to help me. And in particular, I love trying to figure out ways that I can make money when I'm sleeping, you know, rather than always having to, to, um, 
work and then get money for that work. For example, when I, you know, you speak as well, when you, when you speak, do a paid speaking gig, you know, you got to be there, you got to do your thing. And it's wonderful. I love it. Love every second of it, but you're getting paid to do your thing. But the ultimate is when you get paid to sleep. In other words, there's money coming in that you set up that comes in, even if you're not working. Exactly. Yeah. That's the whole uh, passive versus active, you know, and I'm definitely Correct. not at the point where I have a, I don't have a hologram on stage yet. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> one day down the future, but let me ask you in regard to kind of the same topic here, you know, we talked earlier before we you know started recording this episode about the demographic of the show being majority millennial, maybe some older, maybe some a little bit younger. So to that point, oftentimes our generation is often classified as one that seeks instant gratification and operates somewhat out of an ego based basis. So my thing is, or, or my question to you really comes down to what would be your suggestion to someone listening to this show right now that may be in corporate that may want to transfer, you know, transition out of it, or maybe they're even in college about to graduate and going into entrepreneurship full time. You know, what would your advice be when it comes down to someone like that that's tuned into this show getting into entrepreneurship? Like, do, do you have any advice yeah. in regard? Yeah, I would love I do. To that. I do. I, I, I have a very, very particular form of advice, which I'll get to in just a second. But I do want to comment on your on what you said, where millennials um, have a reputation for being, you know, sort of um, short thinking. I forget your exact words, but um, I don't actually agree with that. My daughter's 26 years old and um, I, I know her friends. I've, I've seen her grow up and know her friends as, as she's been growing up. And, um, and I think that they're among, they're definitely forward thinking. They're thinking for the long term. They're, they're, they're um, incredibly bright. And, you know, I wish, frankly, Matt, that I, that I and my generation, I'm a baby boomer generation, could give the world to, to your generation, to the millennials to run right now. I really do. I mean, I look at the political world. I look at some of the, the corporate executives out there who are just frankly screwing things up. And I wish you were in charge. Um, I, I, I tell that to my friends who are my age all the time that, you know, um, I, I, I love uh, the, the, the passion and the fresh ideas that um, the millennial generation brings. But to answer your question very specifically, here is my strong suggestion. No matter what you want to do in the future, whether you're in high school now or college now or, um, or you're already out or you're um, working for a company or you're, you want to become an entrepreneur or you are an entrepreneur, every single one of us needs to have our own real estate on the web that we own and that showcases who we are. What I mean by that specifically is you need a website and you need a website for yourself where you're, you're pushing pushing out information in some form. It could be a podcast like you're doing, Matt, here. Um, it could be a video channel. It could be a blog. Um, but you need to have real estate that you own on the, the, the internet, on the, um, uh, on the web, uh, in the whole world of, of, of content. And social media alone is not enough. And the reason is because you don't own your content when it's on a social media site, Facebook or Google or Instagram or whoever owns it. Um, but if you create your own site, 
then you own that. And that's ultimately what, no matter what you do in your career going forward, that's going to be a tremendous asset for you. For example, I've given this advice to probably thousands and thousands of people. I frequently speak at colleges because some of my books are used in university courses. And I always tell people, uh, tell the students, you need to have your own real estate on the web. You need to be creating content. You need to be showcasing who you are in some form, audio, video, text, it doesn't matter, but showcasing who you are because if you're looking for a job, that will help you get a job. If you're looking to go to graduate school, that will help you to get into graduate school. If you're looking to raise financing in order to start a company, that will help you to raise financing. No matter what it is that you want to do in your career, having your own content on the web will be incredibly valuable. Yeah, I agree. I most definitely agree. And I always speak on owning your personal brand. That's literally what I credit a lot of my success to, whether that be turning a five minute conversation with Damon John into a job or, you know, being able to speak across the country. So I I really do feel like those two go hand in hand. But when it comes down to someone that wants to do just that, right, they want to have a digital presence, whether that is a podcast or, you know, a website where they're blogging or, you know, a YouTube channel or wherever they're hosting the videos. I know you mentioned social, you know, really own the stuff but when it yeah, comes I mean, down to I mean, that I think you YouTube is fine but I would have your own website where you're doing a blog post every time you have a YouTube new YouTube video come out and you're sharing um, the embed of that YouTube video on your blog so that you always have your own content real estate besides the social networks. Social networks are fine. Nothing wrong with them. I'm not saying don't do them, but they're, but social networks alone are not enough. Right. I definitely agree with you there. So to that point, if someone's getting in their own way about taking that step forward and putting out that digital brand for themselves, that, you know, personal digital brand, what would you tell them? I would say um, the first thing is it doesn't need to be hard. I mean, you know, there's all sorts of tools that you can use um, from the technology side. Um, uh, The blog software isn't even blog software, really. It's software for creating a website. And then think about what you want to do. Um, um, from a broad perspective, like, for example, a particular industry you might want to work in or, a, or you already are working in uh, or a particular job function you might want to do. Um, and then that will help you to figure out what sort of content you want to create. Um, and then you sort of figure out, okay, what are the types of content that you like? Like in my case, I'm a writer. So I love the written word. I, I've written 11 books and I, um, I create content ar- ar- around text. But you, Matt, you're creating a podcast right now. And I'm, I'm not saying that you're only doing podcasts, but this is a very different medium and, and, and video yet another medium or, um, or infographics, you know, using graphic art and graphic design yet another medium. So think about not only what do you want to create content about but what kind of content do you want to create and, and start doing it right away. Start, you know, start this weekend even um, to get that out there. Um, the vast majority of people don't do this. So just by doing it, you stand out. Um, you know, I, I, I always, I always, 
bugged my daughter about this, you know, when she was um, applying for university, um, whatever it was, eight, nine years ago, I said, you know, you need to, you need to do a blog. And she goes, daddy, I'm 16. I don't want to do a blog. No, you should really do a blog. It'll help, <laughs> it'll help you get into college. Really? I mean, honestly, you ought to do it. So she did. She, she wanted to do a neuroscience degree. Um, so I said, start a blog about neuroscience. And she did. And I'm going to give her credit. She actually did the work and she did it. So then um, her first choice was Columbia University, one of the hardest universities in the country, in the world, actually, to get into. And there's a lot of smart kids out there, a lot of kids with good SAT scores. But uh, So she didn't really stand out as being stellar. She was a good student, like many, many other, other good students. So when she filled out her application, there was a little part in the application, that you know, the, the digital application that said, is there anything else you want to tell us? He goes, yeah, I write a blog about neuroscience. And she put that in with a link. She got accepted early admission. She got a personal note uh, from the head of admission, handwritten, that said, Dear Allison, welcome to the class of whatever it was, 20, whatever, whatever it was, whatever year she graduated. Um, we loved your blog. It got, it's what got her in. I mean, of course, right. her, her, you know, she got in because she had her other qualifications. But you stand out when you have something like that. Exactly. And that, you know, right there hits the nail on the head because branding itself is the art of differentiation. So I think that uh, goes hand in hand. I really love that you shared that. And to to that point, you know, one of the points you just mentioned was number two, thinking about what you want to do. And I want to tie this into a word that kept popping up in the beginning of our conversation, which was the word passion. Yes. So to that point, how did you find your multi-passions, right? I mean, you have, you know, a a love for marketing a product, services, um, art, um, gaining attention or helping, you know, businesses gain attention, developing fans, things of that nature. So I'm curious, you know, what was it that helped you identify what your passions were? Was it as simple as just trying them? Um, I think it was um, that I'm a very curious person. I mean, there's tons of people who are curious, but, you know, I'm a very curious person. I always want to try new things. I want to go different places. Um, I've been to 107 countries, all, all, uh, all seven continents. I'm a geek about that. Um, you know, we mentioned earlier the live music stuff that I love. And, and so... I was always thinking to myself, how can I build a career around my passions? How can I build a career where there can be live music that's somehow involved? And so I frequently write about live music um, as it relates to marketing. I actually wrote a book called Marketing Lessons from the Grateful Dead. And I love travel. So I ended up living in Japan for seven years. I lived in Hong Kong for two years. And, um, you know, like you, I'm on the speaking circuit and I'm a sucker for international gigs. You know, somebody says they want me for a USA gig. I'm, you know, it's cool. Fine. I'd love to do it. But if they say I want you to go somewhere interesting in the world, I'm like all over it. A couple of weeks ago, I had an engagement in Cartagena, Colombia. It was amazing, right? I'd never been to Cartagena before, and somebody paid me to go there. That's amazing. So I think what I did was I constantly set myself up for things that were, you know, quote, unquote, work in that they made money, but that were very much related to the things that I'm passionate about, whether that includes travel or live music or, um, um, you know, now recently, and we'll talk about this in a little while, recently become 
so passionate about this idea of fandom and how fandom works and the neuroscience around fandom. So how can I, you know, build these things into my life, into my work, such that I'm actually getting paid to do the things that I love. And, and I am right now, which is amazing, you know, getting paid to travel, getting paid to go on a stage, getting paid even to write about live music. Right. That's phenomenal. And to the point of 107 countries, I believe that was the number you mentioned. Which yeah. of those 107 is your favorite? <laughs> I'm all, my favorite's always the next one I'm going to go to. Um, so, I love that. Uh, three, three weeks ago, uh, my wife and I went to the, the Seychelles Island. That was country 107. And the Seychelles are a group of islands off the eastern coast of Africa, just above Madagascar in the Indian Ocean. You know, really obscure place in the world to go to. And so we were thinking, hey, let's go somewhere interesting and warm and tropical and beachy and islandy. And, and we've been to so many Caribbean islands and whatnot. Let's go somewhere weird. I was like, look at a map. It's like the Seychelles. Where the hell is that? Oh, it's Af Eastern Africa. Well, let's figure it out. Let's do it. <laughs> so we spent a week there and it was amazing, you know, and, and um, so that, that's, that's me. That's my thing. That's what I love to do. Wow, that is Honestly, absolutely incredible. I mean, I just started traveling, you know, a few years ago. Of course, I did the Caribbean and things of that nature, but I finally made my way to Europe nice. uh, at 25 years old and I spent 15 days over there. And it, Great. listen, travel is life-changing to say the least, you know? So anyone that's tuned into this, I really hope they, they pack it their is. bags and make the move, you know? It is. And, and you know what was interesting here, uh, Matt, um, continuing the theme uh, of how I, you know, chase the passions is uh, I was, I, I would, I would look at sort of a fork in the road and I would choose the, the more obscure one frequently. So I had an opportunity when I was 26 to either, uh, I was working for a company on, on Wall Street that was doing economic consulting and I was a salesperson for them. And they said, you could either get a promotion and, and run the sales department here in New York. It was a small company, small sales department, only a couple of the people. Or you can go to Japan and open our Tokyo office and you'll be the only person at our company in all of Asia. And I'm like, well, I'm going to go to Asia. Right. <laughs> so, you know, so I packed my bags and I moved to Japan. I didn't know a single person there. I, and I moved to Japan. I ended up staying seven years and my wife is Japanese and, um, uh, and it was fabulous. And that was defining to me. And it was because I chose the more unusual path. I chose um, the path that probably most people wouldn't take, you know, is like move to a country where you don't even speak the language. Right. So to that point, though, you know, a lot of people don't make those types of moves. You know, they, they don't want to turn that dark corner because they don't know what's on the other side and they know that it's going to be uncomfortable. So how did you find yourself dealing with that uncomfort? Um, I think because I'm so curious as a person that I'm kind of comfortable with that kind of curiosity. And, um, and I recognized going into it that it wasn't going to be the easy path. But, but I thought the easy path, the predictable path, I can kind of get a sense of where I'm going to be in three or four years. Um, but the unpredictable path, the thing that's a little bit more different, that could lead to me to anything. Uh, and that's the path I took. I love that. That's huge. So 
David, back to your passions, and I, I want to, you know, transition here to marketing, start getting some marketing advice out of you. You know, if you were only able to give one universal piece of marketing advice for the rest of your life, what do you feel like that would be? Marketing is not about advertising. Marketing is about creating content that will be valuable for the people that you want to reach. That's huge. Now, I, I know that was something that you said that you mentioned earlier when we were talking about how you could help other people, right? And I believe you mentioned that came about in 05, 06. Is that correct? Yeah, that's when I first came up with that concept. Uh, first person to articulate that um, uh, in a succinct way. Um, and, you know, I think that's really powerful. Um, and I would add to that that today, Marketing is about developing fans because if you have a fan base, you have people who will support you, who will buy the things you're offering, who will subscribe to what you're doing, who will tell their friends that they should work with you. And so I think going forward into the, oh my God, we're at the beginning of a decade, aren't we, Matt? <laughs> like the 2020s, um, the new decade that we're in, the 2020s is, is about a more personal connection. It's about a more human connection. It's about growing fans. It's not about just slinging stuff at people and hoping that they'll buy something from you. So what is the key to actually creating a fan? You know, is it something along the lines of relatability or idolism or anything of that nature? So I worked on this book, Fanocracy, with my daughter, Reiko, who I mentioned already. She's 26. And the reason, the way this came about is that we were driving in a car five years ago and I said to her, you know, it's really crazy that I've been to 75 Grateful Dead concerts and 700, I don't remember what the numbers were at that point, it's like 600 and something probably, live concerts. That's crazy. And she said, I know, not only have I read every Harry Potter book and, re and multiple times, seen the movies multiple times, been to the Wizarding World of Harry Potter theme park in Orlando several times, been to the UK to go to the theater, uh, the um, studio tour where they film the movies, but she just wrote a 90,000 word alternative ending to the Harry Potter series where Draco Malfoy is a spy for the Order of the Phoenix and put that on a fan fiction site and it's been downloaded thousands of times. So we said to ourselves, my gosh, we are these crazy ass fans of the things that we love. So we dug in and did the research and tried to figure out are there fans of everything or is it really that people only become fans of entertaining and entertainment and sports? And it turns out people become fans of everything. B2B companies, nonprofit companies, consumer companies, um, consultants, public speakers, um, all kinds of companies. And the bottom line to this, if I sort of sum it all up into a sentence, is that fandom is about a true human connection. And the reason I say it's a true human connection is because fandom means you're part of a tribe. And that goes back to our DNA, to our ancient brains, to the ways that we're hardwired because you know, in our, in our 10,000 years ago's past, you had to know is that other human near you part of your tribe and therefore friendly and therefore a very positive person that you see? Or is that other person you see there 
potentially a threat, potentially someone who might harm you. And our brain still works that way. Um, we spoke with a bunch of neuroscientists to learn that. And so what, what the fandom thing is, is that you are part of a tribe of like-minded people. You know, um, I speak at all of Tony Robbins' business mastery events, and I've been working with Tony now for five years. And if you've ever been to a Tony Robbins event, I mean, there it's a it's a tribe of people. It's a it's a fandom. We speak the same language. Same thing with the Grateful Dead. Same thing with Harry Potter. But it's the same thing that any one of us can build for our businesses. And I know you asked me a simple question and I rambled on for a while, but it but it's a really really interesting concept around this true human connection. Yeah, listen. I mean, I definitely appreciate the answer um, and all the detail. It's super helpful. And you know, to you, you mentioned Tony. I, I am definitely someone that has walked on fire before. Yeah. So, so you've done you've done UPW then. <laughs> I've done UPW. I haven't done Business Mastery or Date with Destiny, but those are most definitely coming in some point in the near future. So I'm well, excited if you, to- um, If you do Business Mastery, please let me know because I'm the marketing speaker at Business Mastery. I do two hours at Business Mastery every time. And um, it's a fabulous program. So if you do go, please let me know and uh, we'll make sure to connect in person. Most definitely. I most definitely will. I appreciate that. So David, let me ask you now, you know, once you create that fandom, what's the steps or the process of taking your fans and turning them into customers? So the main thing that we looked at was, you know, what are, what are the, some of the things that are going on with fandom? And one of the most fascinating ones to me comes from neuroscience, and it's uh, related to what we just spoke about a minute ago. Um, And it's a great way to build, to take fans and turn them into customers. And it's the idea of proximity. In other words, can you get closer to your existing and potential customers, uh, physically, literally physically closer. So there's a neuroscientist named Edward T. Hall who identified the, the, the levels of proximity. Furthest away is called public space, about 20 feet, feet or farther away. Our ancient brains don't track people in public space, but inside of 20 feet, between 20 feet and four feet, we begin to track those people because we need to know if there's a part of our tribe or a potential enemy. Uh, And then within four feet, closer than four feet, it's called personal space. That's where really powerful human connections happen. And so um, if you walk into a crowded room, you can't help it, but you begin to scan that room looking for people who are part of your tribe, looking for your friends um, or looking for potential enemies. If you get into a crowded elevator, you feel nervous because you don't know those those people. If you go into a room and your friends are there, you feel great. So here's what this means for us, for growing fans of our business and growing, growing um, our revenue and bottom line as a result. The more you can bring people in close physical proximity with you into, their, into your personal space, if possible, within four feet, the more you create a true human connection and the more emotional connection you make with people. Um, So always be thinking about how can I get my customers closer? And that's one of the reasons why, Matt, the events that we speak at can be so powerful because when you go to an event, let's just take a Tony Robbins event, for example, everyone in there at that event is part of that tribe because they've purposely decided to be 
to go to Tony Robbins. And um, you are in close physical proximity with those people. And as you know, from a Tony Robbins event, there's high fives, there's hugs, there's, there's all sorts of, of close within four feet human connection going on, though that's incredibly powerful. So can that be built into your business? Right. That is amazing. That is absolutely amazing. And David, just to let you know, I'm over here writing all this stuff down, even though, <laughs> uh, even though I'm able to, you know, re-listen to this and stuff, but I, I don't want to give too much away from the book. I want to make sure that individuals that are listening to this are going out and getting the book, but I do have one more question about it. If people could only take one thing away from this book, what do you want that one thing to be and why? Okay, I'm going to tell you, I, I'm going to dig into another aspect of neuroscience, and I'm going to, I'm going to answer the question related to this particular answer. So, um, so I mentioned earlier this idea of close physical proximity, and can you get people closer together? Some people say to me, David, my business is not conducive to that. You know, I, I run a virtual business, we're all online, or I have clients all over the world. I'm can't get close to people who live in Australia and India and other places. So it turns out there's another aspect of neuroscience that we learned that's really interesting when it comes to fans. And it's the concept of mirror neurons. So mirror neurons are these really interesting parts of our brains that fire when we see or even hear somebody do something, our brain fires as if we're doing it ourselves. So to demonstrate that, I'm going to take a bite of a lemon. And, oh, wow, you know, you take that bite of a lemon and your, your, your mouth puckers up, your eyes instinctively close, you, your saliva glands start to do their thing, and, and, and you can feel that really strong, tart taste of the lemon. You know, it's a really powerful thing to bite into a lemon. If you, were, if you had seen me bite into that lemon, you would have a strong reaction because your mirror neurons are firing. And I would bet, Matt, that maybe even by just hearing me talk about that lemon, you might have had your, a little taste of lemon on the end of your tongue as well. A hundred percent. My mouth started to salivate right away. Isn't that weird? Yeah. It's weird, right? It's weird. So here's, where, here's what this means for developing fans, and here's what any any or you know all of us can do right now to help to grow fans all of us can do this so the use of photos and videos um, is extremely effective from the perspective of this idea of mirror neurons because if you can create use photos and videos in your marketing on your website in your social media if you have print brochures and so on use it there of you in close physical proximity with other people or looking directly at the camera, preferably from four feet, that's incredibly powerful. So this is exactly why we think we know movie stars. You don't know movie stars, but your brain tells you you do because you've seen them on the screen. And so you can recreate that because you can use this concept of mirror neurons in the sense of having photographs of people looking directly at the camera, cropped as if you're four feet away, or even better, video looking at the camera cropped within four feet away. This also explains why selfies are so popular. You know, 
a lot of older people dismiss the uh, the selfie phenomenon uh, and say, oh, that's just for young people. But you know what? It's it's a really powerful thing because a selfie, by definition, you're within four feet because that's how long your arm is. You're looking at the camera for the most part. Sometimes if other people are in the picture with you, they're all looking at the camera. That's all really powerful. And that's why frequently selfies have more social engagement than any other photographs. Those can be used in marketing. They can be used to create a personal connection with your existing and potential customers because they'll feel as if they know you just by seeing those photographs. So what every one of us can do right now is as we're thinking about our, the website to market our business, as we're thinking about the other forms of marketing, how can we make better use of video and photos uh, and use this magic of mirror neurons? Right. That is some powerful content. I am so glad that you shared that with us. So I, I just want to say thank you again, but I do want to respect your time here. I have a few more questions for you. Sure. And this is always how we end the show. Yeah. Now, David, I know you've been doing a whole ton of interviews throughout however long, right? Um, I want to know what is a question you wished more people would ask you and how would you answer it? <laughs> wow, that's interesting. Yeah, I've, I've done probably thousands of interviews for the last 20 years. Um, I wish more people would ask me, David, why the hell did you write a book with your daughter? What's up with that? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And, you know, the simple answer to that is that um, she's a millennial. I'm a baby boomer. She's a woman. I'm a man. Uh, I'm a white guy. She's a mixed race, half Japanese. Um, I love the Grateful Dead. She loves Harry Potter. I'm a liberal arts graduate. She did a neuroscience degree and now is in med school. And um, we wrote a book together because we're so utterly different as people, yet we have the same idea about fandom. I love that. That's amazing. You know, and I definitely respect the fact that, you know, you went out there and did that with your daughter. That's an incredible. Could you imagine, I don't know if if your dad or or your mom are, are, are still alive, but could you imagine writing a book with them? Yeah, it's incredible. What an amazing opportunity to bond and grow together. Like that is, you know, it's dream worthy. Here's what it did, Matt, that was really interesting is we went into this project five years ago in a kind of a hierarchical relationship. I was the dad, she was the daughter, you know, and, and I didn't ever act like I was the boss, but you know, you you know, I'm the older one. I'm the one who paid the bills, you know, all that kind of thing. Um, I owned the house she lived in, but now she's out on her own. And, um, and we had to be equals when we wrote this book, there's no way it would have worked if I was the boss. No right. way. No way. So we, we approached it as equals and five years of working on it. We now have a, a way more powerful relationship. Yes, we're still father daughter, but we have a way more powerful relationship because we've worked for five years as equals. Yeah, that's incredible. I'm, I'm honestly so thrilled to even think of uh, potentially doing that in my future. That's honestly so incredible. Now, David, last question for you here. If you could only give one piece of universal advice for the rest of your life, and I know I ask this in regards to marketing, but just in general advice, if you could only give one piece of universal advice for the rest of your life, what would that be? Passion. Live life with passion. We talked about passion a little bit at the top of the show. And here's, here's the reason. Uh, three, it's a three-word quote. Uh, I'm going to quote my daughter. Passion is infectious. 
Passion is infectious. When you live a life of passion, people around you feel that passion. They naturally gravitate into your your orbit. When you live a life of passion, you live a life that's better than if you don't have passion in it. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that's beautiful. And I definitely appreciate you hopping on here and sharing all of these insights. And to that point, I'm going to let everyone know that the social links for for you, David, are all in the show notes of this episode. But I have to ask, where are you hanging out the most these days? Is it on Twitter or anywhere else? So I go into... Um, LinkedIn at least once a day. Um, I go into Facebook probably once or twice a week. I don't go go in that often. Instagram about every other day, but I'm on Twitter all the time. So the one I'm most engaged with, with, with is Twitter. And I think the reason is because it's most more like journalism than any other of the social networks. So I just naturally gravitated to it. Right. I love that. And I'm sure the book is in all major retailers. I'm going to make sure there's a link in the show notes as well. I'll have your website in the show notes. And last thing, do you have any special projects or anything going on that you want people people to know of? Oh, interesting. Um, you know, we're, as we're recording this, um, you know, entering into 2020, um, the book is just about to come out and this is such an exciting time. So that's what I'm focused on. And I know that many people who listen to podcasts also like to listen to audiobooks. So um, Reiko and I read the audiobook ourselves. So if that's, a, if that's the way you like to consume books, that's another option for it. That is incredible. I absolutely love it. David, I want to thank you again and express my gratitude for you hopping on here, adding a ton of value. So thanks for joining us. My pleasure, man. And thank you for adding a ton of value for all your listeners. Um, You do a great job with this podcast. And there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, straight from our friend, David Meerman Scott. So first and foremost, I want to give a huge shout out to David for hopping on here, providing us all with so much value from a life perspective, from a marketing and business perspective. The list really goes on. So David, huge shout out to you. Now, what I'm going to ask all of you that are tuned in to do is make sure you're connecting with David on social. You can find all of his social handles and links to make it super simple to do so in the show notes of this episode by simply scrolling up or down, depending on where you're tuning in from. Now, on top of that, David just released, and as we talked about in this episode, his new book, Fanocracy, which I would highly suggest you picking up and adding to your reading list for 2020. I know that you're a podcast person, so I know that you're someone that's really into developing on a personal level, and on, biz- on a business level, and so on and so forth. So I want to make sure that you are adding the best of the best to this reading list. Now, I will say this, if Tony Robbins is bringing David on stage for five plus years straight at one of the biggest events in the world that really says a lot right and that's exactly why we have David on this show because I know the value that he provides as he's clearly exemplified through all we discussed today so make sure you're adding that to your reading list you could also find the link to that book or for that book in the show notes of this episode and now as always I want to dive into three of the many points that stood out to me and that resonated with me on a super high level and the first thing right away is how David defined success which was essentially by being able to help other people. And the point that I really want to make here is the fact that there is a such thing as passive impact. Just as there's a such thing as passive income, having a podcast just like this, having content out on social media, if you're someone that feels fulfilled through impacting individuals by doing things within your community, such as building a library in your local park like I did here, all of these types of projects have what's called passive impact. And being able to help people 
in that sense is honestly nothing short of amazing so I want to give David a lot of credit because that really resonated with me on a super high level secondly when I asked David what his favorite country was I literally got the best response ever and that response was the next one I'm going to David has traveled across the globe as you know and as he's exemplified and alluded to in this episode so to that point I was blown away by hearing that response and it made me think like there is so much damn beauty in this world that we need to get out there and see it so if you're tuned into this still and you're listening to this right now let this be the universe telling you that you need to do some traveling this year you need to get out there you need to see the places that you want to see the places that you've been dying to see the places that you told yourself you were going to see for years and you still haven't seen whether that be Europe or South Africa or parts of Asia wherever that is make sure you are getting out there and testing those new waters and getting yourself familiarized with new cultures and things of that nature it's a truly beautiful process and I promise you on the other end of that process on the other end of those travels is massive massive growth for you now lastly David mentioned a point and I'm gonna shamelessly plug here that you need to own space on the internet now it's one thing to have social media it's a whole other thing to have a blog or a website or something of that nature so in regards to me shamelessly plugging here if you are looking to capitalize and start owning your brand digitally right I am here to help you I would love to help you in fact whether that means we're creating a website or a strategy for you I would absolutely love the opportunity to help you because at the end of the day you need to be differentiating yourself no matter what you're doing in life I don't care if you're a nurse a veterinarian a physical therapist whatever the case is and you're tuned into this right now you need to be doing that you need to be differentiating yourself from the pack you need to be owning your personal brand so let's make sure we're connecting you could reach out to us info at 1bbranding.com or head over to our website 1bbranding.com fill out the form get in contact with us like I said I want to be able to help so to recap these three points very briefly number one is the way David defines success by being able to help people and you know we started talking about passive impact to me that is absolutely monumental think of ways that you can passively impact people not necessarily actively in regards to holding the door open for someone but maybe doing something along the lines of creating a nonprofit or something of that nature I think that's absolutely monumental for all of us number two David's response in regards to going to the next country being his favorite. I absolutely loved it. Make sure you're getting out there and traveling. And number three, owning your own space on the internet. Make sure today, this is your universal sign to make sure you're locking down your name, your URL, whatever your name is, mattlabrie.com for instance. Make sure you're locking that down today. I promise you, it's not expensive. Just make sure you're getting on it. And listen, if this episode was proven to be of value to you, I would absolutely love and very much so appreciate you sharing this, also leaving a rating and review. We missed our goal for 2020, but that's okay. That happens. Regardless, we still hit a shit ton of ratings and reviews. So you can help us contribute to the goodness of this world by providing your genuine feedback. And hey, I'm not asking for five stars. I just want your genuine feedback, who you want to see on the show, how we can improve this show, what you want to hear from us, etc., etc. That would mean the absolute world to us. So make sure you're getting on that, especially if you're tuned in from iTunes now. Until next time, everyone, be blessed. Peace.